for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. So, a bit of a giveaway today's uh, talk is around the love of God. So, I've got this nice little slide. Um, I think, as Christians, we would say, talking about God's love, we would put our flag in the ground and we would say, our God is a loving God. Who would agree with that? Okay, that is absolutely fundamental. That's, that's why we witness, is to obviously to introduce people to the love of God. And we can say that with confidence because we could look at the Bible, we could look at scripture, what it tells us. Uh, we look at the life of Jesus Christ, culminating in his, his death and resurrection. And obviously we have our own testimonies, and it's great today hearing testimonies from people who, who have shared how God has moved in their lives. And that motivation is God's love. For, for people. And yet there are others, aren't there, who would say, actually, does our God really love? And there are some very big questions out there. So one question people might ask you if you're witnessing is, if your God is loving, why is there suffering in the world? Big question to ask. Or if your God is so loving and relational, why did he go ahead and create hell when he knew people would end up in hell? And these are very big questions. Uh, I'm, I'm someone who often, when I'm uh, working, I often share quite a lot with, with my delegates that I'm with. And these are big questions we've got. And, and to ask those questions, we have to come back to again and again, what is our God like? And so obviously we're going through this series about the attributes of God. And I'm very conscious we are talking about the divine here. And I must admit, I feel very inadequate talking about God because... Let's be honest, he is amazing, he's awesome, and we are just mere humans with limited understanding. So we're on holy ground today, and every Sunday when we, we preach and we share God's word, we are on holy ground. And so there should be a reverence and awe when we're talking about this subject. Quoting Andrew Wilson, he wrote the book Incomparable. He says, when talking about God's love, said, describing the love of God is like trying to rugby tackle a snooker table. You can give it your best shot, but ultimately, it's far too big for you to get your arms around it. Now, any of you who have played snooker, a full-size snooker table is pretty big. So, it gives you an idea. I am going to scratch the surface today on the areas of God's love. So, you may have other questions, but I want to encourage you, maybe in your own study, your own quiet time, to consider... Actually, let's just do my own little study on the character of God and what his love is like. So we started by saying that we have a firm conviction that our God is a loving God. Um, and I'll ask the start of a question. How many times do you think love, the word love, is mentioned in the Bible? So a bit of, bit of participation here. Anybody want to throw out a figure? 3,000. 3,000. Okay, it's lower. <laughs> but good, good sound point. Anyone else? 500. It's a bit more than 500. Sorry? No. Okay. Yep. So, oh, very specific. It's interesting because depending on the version of the Bible, it's between five and 700. So it may be where love has been replaced by a similar word. But within the Bible, I would say approximately 600 times the word love is mentioned. So it's, it's quite a feature. Um, for those of you, I mean, when I read that, I was thinking, well, I wonder what the Quran is. You know, how many times is love mentioned in the Quran? And actually, it's only 190 times. 
And some scholars say, actually, the word love doesn't actually relate to Allah. So it's talking about friend, you know, love between people. So you know, I'm open to be challenged on that. But what I'm trying to emphasise is, firstly, we have scripture that says a lot about love. Okay? God's love is a subject, and I'm sure you've all been here many times, have many preachers on God's love. I'm sure probably in the hundreds. It's, it is probably the topic that is preached on most Sundays. It's the topic or the, the, the message that is preached across all the mission fields around about our God is a loving God. Our worship songs are littered, again, with the words about how God loves us and absolutely right that they do. And how often do our prophetic words, tongues, songs, etc., that come from the front speak about God's love to us? Okay, so I want you to first to grasp God is continually letting us know that he loves us because probably you, like me, we do things wrong, we get things wrong, we think, actually, does God really like me? Does God love me? And I want you guys to know today that actually God loves you and he likes you as well. Because some people say, oh, I know God loves me, but does he like me? Yes, he likes you. Okay, he is passionate for his people. So I'm going to cover five areas from a high level around what the Bible or Scripture tells us about love. Okay, I'd also would suggest to be a Christian, you have to be secure in, in the knowledge of God's love as well. Okay, and it to me is a basic condition. If you're sitting here today and thinking, actually, I really don't know if God loves me, again, I would encourage you come forward at the end and get prayed for because it is a basic requirement to know, actually, my dad in heaven loves me. So if you are sitting there struggling, thinking, actually, I don't know that, I don't know that for sure then I want to encourage you, please come forward afterwards and I will happily pray for you and other people will pray for you to understand and to experience the love of God. Because it's not just an intellectual message I've got today. Okay, Often in the Western world we think, okay, God's love, right, got the understood ticket, move on, next thing, God's whatever it might be, got that sussed. This is something that you can experience. Okay, so um, have, we got, have we got any petrol heads in, in here? Anybody who loves cars? I know Mr. Cole does. He's got one in his garage. <laughs> okay. So I'll give you an example. He's liking it to maybe getting your Top Gear magazine. I mean, I, I don't subscribe to it, but, you know, whatever. A motor magazine, and there's a picture of a supercar in it. And you can look at the pictures. And you can look at the stats. And you can look at the dynamic photograph, the interior and the exterior and the carbon fibre and all of that. That's wonderful. But I'll tell you what is better is actually getting in the car to actually sit in it, to feel the lever, smell it, and then maybe to put the key in the ignition and turn it, rev that engine, hear that exhaust, and then take it for a drive. And experience that handling and the adrenaline as you kind of hammer 190 down the M20 or whatever it might be. But that's what we're talking about. It's not just an intellectual exercise. This is something that you can experience. And I think for me, my first encounter, I mean, the fact it was, I was thinking, almost 30 years ago, when I had my first real encounter of God's love, and it wasn't when I actually got saved, that was great as it was, I was actually upstairs in my bedroom, and I'd been a bit of a pickle at school. Uh, I'd been messing around, and I, I was feeling quite bad about myself. I remember saying to God, God, I just want to feel loved. And all I can experience is like a wave of love hit me. And I, the fact I can remember it 30, 30 years ago, but actually this, this experience of God's love and of how much he delighted in me, not in who I am or what I do, just the fact he loves me. And I'll tell you what, I think my life changed from that moment when I really got that understanding and experienced the love of God. 
So that is something for all of us. Um, before I move on to the points, I do want to make this thing. Given the prominence about the subject of love that we put as Christians, I do want to say a word of caution. It's important we don't overemphasize this attribute, this, this love of God, at the expense of other important characteristics of God. So attributes like righteousness, or holiness, or sovereignty, or justice, or jealousy. You know, who's last heard a preach on jealousy? Or even wrath, the wrath of God. Now that's something we don't tend to mention, We've, or maybe we think, oh, that was God in the Old Testament. But if you read the book of Romans, you will see that actually God's wrath is mentioned there. And, and if you consider God's love, the fact is, if he loves all that's right and good, and think about all that conforms to his moral character, then shouldn't it be surprising that God would hate everything that is in opposition to his moral character? Okay, God hates sin. God hates sin. And in Isaiah 61, 8, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. So we can talk about God's love, but it's important we hold it in tension with other attributes that God has. So if you wish to see God's love, we would say you look at the cross. Agree? If you wish to see God's wrath, you also look at the cross. Okay, because God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. So it's important. We talk about the love, there's other elements. And, and, and my observation, and, and I quite like apologetics, it's not, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, apologetics is, is defending the faith. And you talk to a lot of people, and, and, and they have these, do have these questions. And if we just give them the sanitised Christian message as such, all about God loves you, it doesn't matter what you do, God loves you, there is a truth in that, but there is also a thing about Jesus being your Lord and Saviour. He's also a holy God. And if you diminish the idea of wrath and justice and that, then actually you diminish the reasons why Jesus had to die on the cross. And then actually then you end up with a false gospel. So just want to kind of caveat, what I'm saying is you have to hold all these things in tension, and I believe Graham's got, is it righteousness and holiness of one of preachers, saying. So hopefully it will be covered in a later one. But if not, understand that. We hold these things in tension. So when we start looking at God's love, there's only one place you've got to start with, first of all, and that is the Trinity. Now, I know Richard did an excellent talk recently on the Trinity, um, so, but, but, but for the benefit of those who weren't here, I will just kind of caveat or say a couple of points. So if you read John's Gospels, and there's various chapters, 8, 10, 14, 15, 16, to name a few, you will become exceedingly aware of, of how all the descriptions of the Father's love for the Son and the, and the love the Son has for the Father. You cannot get away from that fact in Scripture. You will see that there is massive love between one another. 1 John 4, 7, 8 says, states this, that God, or love, sorry, love is from God, and that God is love. Love is from God, and that God is love. So in essence, what we're saying there is love originates from God, and he is the source of all love. Now, I did a lot of research, reading, obviously, as you do when you're preparing to preach, and I think somebody, somebody said, oh, God invented love. Actually, that's wrong. God is love. Love, you know, love has always been a unique, brilliant component of the God, Godhead. Okay, so God is love. So God's love is simultaneously the def definition, example, and source of true love. If you want to know what love is like, look at God. 
Okay, and I, I don't know how many people had this when they got married. 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the passage everybody shares when they get married. Again, you know, love is patient, love is kind. But again, it shows you how love is manifested. So if you want to know what love is like, look at the Trinity. Okay, and I want to put to bed or destroy maybe one common misconception I think people have around God the Father. Talking again, talking to people, a lot of people would say, oh, I've got this perception that God the Father in the Old Testament is this angry, wrathful uh, tyrant, and that somehow the New Testament, Jesus is the one who kind of pacifies him. As, you, know, you know, don't beat them up, I love them, you know, please. I want you to understand that when God sent his son, it was a strategy. It was God's plan to do that. So what I'm trying to say is in the Old Testament, that's a misconception in one sense that God is somehow the tyrant and God, uh, Jesus is the one that loves us. Okay, God the Father was, was completely involved in sending his son. He says, what was it? Uh, For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Okay, so if that is uh, somebody's misconception or misunderstanding of how the God the Father is, that is incorrect. So before, Eve, before the creation of the universe, within the Godhead, there's always been a relational community of respect, honouring and love towards each other. So hold that thought as we move on. So the next bit of love I want to talk about is what we call providential love. I think it's the next slide. Okay, and this is God's love for creation. Okay, so understanding and seeing the self-given characters within the Trinity, it is therefore not surprising that this love outwardly overflows towards creation. Okay, so the Bible doesn't specifically use the word love for creation, but I think the theme is quite easy to see within that. So God creates everything. Again, as Christians, we believe God created the world. Yes, you may see differently, but I believe God is creator. There's intelligent design around what I see out that window. And before there is a whiff of sin and rebellion, he pronounced that all he made is good. The whole creation account outlines that when God created each type of bird, fish, animal, God blessed them to be fruitful and multiply. So I would strongly suggest from scripture, it tells us that this physical world universe is a product of a loving creator. Okay? God loves the world. Jesus in his teachings used his theme further by depicting a world in which God lovingly sustains it. How much more then will he provide for his people? So Jesus referenced the birds in the air. He says, look at them. You know, the who never sow nor reap or gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Or the lilies in the field, maybe just weeds to some people, but yet whom Jesus said were arrayed in greater splendour than Solomon. So Jesus concluded that if God knows how to look after a sparrow or a lily, how much more does he know how to care for and provide for his children. Therefore, Jesus said, you don't need to worry about these things. You know, don't chase after clothes, etc. God knows what you need. And to me, that's a characteristic of a loving God. So understanding that God's love is manifest towards his creation, we now move towards the pinnacle of God's creation, which is man. So the next one is man. God's love for mankind. Scripture tells us in Genesis 1, 26-27, this is this is from scripture. Then God said, let us. So again, straight away, evidence of the Trinity. Make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens 
and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image he created him, male and female, he created them. So here we have what I would say is the uniqueness of man. Okay, look at one another and say, you are unique. <laughs> Unlike the rest of creation, which was provide, made solely by God's words, man was formed by his proverbial hands and then life is breathed into him. There is something significant about man, man and mankind. And God said it was very good. And to me, that's a delighted response. Okay, so when you look at the mirror and you're thinking, oh, I don't feel particularly great today, maybe got some acne or whatever it might be, or you know, receding hairline, God, delighted, you know, God delights in you. God saw what he had made and he approved of it. He was pleased by it. He liked it. So what can we take from that? By being made in the image of God, this makes human life distinct from all other elements of the created world. Okay? A naturalistic worldview would suggest mankind is just one of a million different kind, types of species. So a man is no more significant than a bear, a well, or a worm, or whatever. Yet scripture paints a very different truth. We are made in the image of God. We are distinct and superior to all other created things. We are unique and bestowed with a particular dignity, value and worth. God created man to be creative and he invites us to make culture. He made us to be adventurers, to explore his creation. He created us to be reproductive and have children. He created us with meaningful work to do. He created us to be his image bearers, meaning man was made to be his representative on the earth. So for those who know scripture, it says in the New Testament, we are Christ's ambassadors. That means when you're in a situation and you're talking to someone, it's as though Jesus is there himself. So you are all Christ's ambassadors. Profound, eh? So just ponder that for a fact. We are God's representatives on the earth. The early church father, Aronius, said, God formed Adam not as if he stood in need of man, but so he might have someone upon whom to confer his benefits. God created us to live coram dio, excuse my Latin, which means live before the face of God. Mankind was given the ability to communicate and fellowship with God and with one another. Adam and Eve talked, walked and enjoyed fellowship with God. And even though they were perfect and sinless at that time, God explained to them who they were, and what they were to do with their lives. So we've got the first account of God ministering to man. He tells Adam and Eve what they are to do. And God comes to Adam and Eve and defines their identity and purpose. And that hasn't changed. If you, if you feel your, your life is drifting, God has a plan and a purpose for your lives. Okay, you are significant. Don't ever let the enemy or the world tell you you are worthless, you are a failure. In God's eyes... You are amazing. You are significant. Again, we hear so many lies from what the you tell, what your boss might rate you in your PD review or whatever, but you have an identity and a purpose. So God comes to them and defines their identity and purpose. And then they fail. God having told Adam they mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They directly contradicted God's commands and crossed that line. 
Again, in Scripture, God's commandments are there to do us good. And God already said to them, don't do that. Again, there's a whole thing about free will. But he gave them a, a, a choice. And Satan didn't force them to eat from the fruit. They did so willingly. And so willingly sinned against God. And as a result, Adam's nature became sinful. And sin became something Adam naturally did. And obviously God had said to them, the penalty of eating the forbidden fruit was death. And death, the Apostle Paul tells us, is actually the penalty for all sin. And anybody here who's never sinned? The Bible says we're, we're sinners. We're sinners before we're even born. So the penalty for each one of us is death. We all deserve death. And yet, Scripture tells us that God is compassionate, that he's kind, that he's generous and good, even to the most stubborn, stubborn sinners. Again, we're very good, aren't we, at rating sin? Or, uh, I haven't killed anybody. And I'll tell you what, it takes such encouragement for me. Read scripture. You know, you had David, who was adulterer. Moses murdered. Paul persecuted the, the church. And yet, through God's forgiveness, restored them and used them. There isn't a single sin. If God can turn death back to life, there isn't anything he can't turn around. And what was God's response in all of that? Sorry, no, sorry. And obviously God's heart is not wishing any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Again, that's why we have the gospel mission. That's why we're looking to outreach into the riverside is, and other areas. is because we have this good news. And what was God's response? John 3.16, we all know it, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christ came to earn our salvation because of God's faithful love, mercy and justice. And going back to the beginning of this talk, as mentioned, concerning God's other um, attributes like justice and wrath, if we cut them out of the gospel, we weaken this seriousness of why Jesus did what he had to do. I am aware, I think someone next couple of weeks is preaching on the crucifixion, so I won't steal the thunder, but just to say, someone had to pay that price and take the punishment for those sins and because of God's great love, that someone was Jesus Christ. So moving on to the next one. God's love towards believers. So there's a general love for the world as such. But actually, if you read scripture, there are numerous verses which highlight a specific love towards believers. And as I read these out, I just allow them to soak into your heart and minister to you because they tell of God's delight for us. So Psalm 149.4. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adores, adorns the humble with salvation. Psalm 35, 27. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Proverbs eleven twenty, Those who are a crooked heart are of abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. And this is my favourite. Zephaniah three seventeen. He, God, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. Or Colossians 3.12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There is a special love that God has for his people. You see that from the Old Testament, how he chooses a nation. They were chosen not because they were mighty or anything significant. It was simply because God said, I'm going to choose you guys. And the same with the church. And it talks about, or theologians refer to this specific love as God's particular love for the elect. So Jesus called believers elect, who read in Mark or Luke's Gospel, 
and it's a term of endearment. The Apostle Paul asks, who can bring a charge against God's elect? So who are the elect? God's people, the church. A wonderful collection of people, all nationalities, colours, tribes and tongues, who have access and privileges to access God and the responsibilities of praising and proclaiming him to present his truth and witness to a dying world. And I mentioned earlier, knowing God's love should not be just a head knowledge thing, but as believers, we all need the Holy Spirit to bring these glorious verses to life. Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured out or poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And one of the wonderful roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal God's love to us. And I would suggest there's an ever-increasing experience and not just as a one-off experience. So again, I can refer back to maybe an encounter 30 years ago, but something would be wrong if that's all I could ever account on or refer back to. I hope all of you could say, actually, yeah, I experienced God's love this week, last week. Please don't rely on old manner or an old blessing. Yes, it's great to have those marks in your life, say, I can look back and God was faithful then and then and then. But I want to encourage you that if you don't know God's love or you have an fresh encounter, even this morning, then I want to encourage you to spend time seeking God and saying, God, I want, to, I want to feel your love again. I want to have a fresh revelation of who you are and how much you love me. Knowing you are loved by God is not a static marker, rather your love tank, as I call it, should be continually topped up. Indeed, our God is so lavish that he causes it to overflow. When you say, God, I want more of your love, he's not going to give you a little, hey, that's enough for you now. He's a God who just pours and pours. I should have brought a glass of water. Literally, that's your heart, and it would just overflow. That is God's heart to all of us, is that his love would abound in us that much that it overflows. And out of the overflow, it then touches other lives. But this is my heart, and I think for all of us it should be our heart, is that we would know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, we've had our series on, you know, looking upward, looking inward and looking out. But again, it all starts looking to God. If you, if you struggle with, with whether God loves you, or even you're just someone who actually, oh, I don't really show a lot of emotion, I'm quite private. I'll tell you what, when God touches you, he can turn you like that, and you might find you the most loving person. God wants to do that. He wants us to be loving people because that gives him glory, because just as he loved us when we were lost in our sin, if we then show that love to other people out there, in our workplace, at the school gate, or wherever, it gives God pleasure, because we are imitating him. We're supposed to be imitators of Christ, and that's one of the ways we can do that, is by loving our neighbours. Maybe taking a meal over the road to them, because they're poorly, or it's with the snowy weather or whatever, go and get the shopping for them. Simple things, have to be big things, but it's showing that you love them. So what else can we say about specific love for believers? The love of God is also likened to the love of a parent for the child. Indeed, we are encouraged to pray to our Father, showing that as believers we have been adopted into God's family. It is a family love, the ultimate love of an eternal father for his children. It is the consummate love of a bridegroom for his bride, and that highlights the commitment, the covenantness, and the exclusiveness of the relationship. You know, God is jealous for your love. 
he is jealous for your love, like, a, like a, a, a bridegroom is for his bride. It is an eternal love that guarantees their salvation from sin. And it's a special love reserved for believers alone. And if you grasp this truth, and again, I'm asking myself, grasp this truth more and more, it will be a springboard to worship. Because it should give us great joy to know that in God's nature towards his people, and he will continue to act that way towards us for all eternity. Okay. Uh, and we're praying upstairs, I think, um, Richard, he, he, he prayed just about how also God pursues. So again, the prodigal son, again, most of us will know that scripture. But again, God pursues. He pursues us. He wants to spend time with us. And in our, you know, we're often so busy in our lives and we push him out. But yeah, he, he, he's there wanting us to spend time with him. And that comes to my last one, which is obedience. So we've already heard about the wonderful benefits of being in God's love. There's also other scriptures that exhort us to continue or to remain in God's love. So I'll just read a couple out. Jude 21, keep yourself in the love of God. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 15, 9 to 10, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, the first thing I want to say is that does not refer to salvation, okay, which is assured. However, they do point to the possibility of straying outside of God's love, i.e. the love that I mentioned in point four. Now, I'm sure none of us would intentionally, hopefully, want to stray outside of that, but there may be things that have happened in your life and you've withdrawn but it does give an emphasis on actually keeping God's commands. So, give you an example. I have three children, as you know, and I love them. It's an unconditional love. They're my flesh and blood. They are my family. That fact is set in stone. It's on their birth certificate. I can't get away from that. And they can do things that can bring me joy. And they can also do things, very rarely, thankfully, that can bring me anger or sorrow, which will result in discipline. But that discipline is only for a short time in order to bring maturity. And that's the same, same with this thing. God can discipline. It says here in Proverbs 3.11, the Lord admonishes him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Because actually, if someone loves you and they see you doing wrong, they want to bring you back. They want to help you grow in maturity. And if there's no discipline, well, we all know possibly what, no discipline looks like because you know you, you hear accounts of it in the world and that don't you but that is God loves you and a part of that actually might be he wants to maybe discipline but it's only for a season and again not something we talk about very often is it you know God disciplining us oh it's a bit I don't like that subject I'll put part of that to the side but it is because he you know we've been adopted to his family he wants us to grow in maturity so Hebrews 12 5 to 11 talks of God also disciplining us for, the, for our good in order to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So what can we take from this? So we've got an opportunity daily to bring delight to God for obedience to his commands. And so the way my brain works is, okay then, so what are, what are these commands? What should we be doing? And thankfully, that question was asked in Jesus' day by the scribes. And you read about it in Mark 12, 28 31. And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And that pretty much 
Cuts it. And then Jesus said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So if you think, well, where do I start? Well, the first thing is, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and then to love your neighbour as yourself. So Jesus is saying here that love is the inner commitment to God that is expressed in all our conduct and relationships. See, we can't love God in isolation from other relationships in life. So when we show love to others, it mirrors how God is to us and to others. And it's the same principle in relation to forgiveness. Again, Matthew, uh, Jesus said, if you, if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive other trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you. Same principle. You've got to continue in, in keeping God's commandments. So in closing, conscious of the time, in closing, so what's our, what's our, what is our response? So as mentioned, it's like trying to tackle a snooker table. I hope I've given you a, a high level of how scripture is mentioned in, in the Bible. We've got within the Trinity, understanding the Godhead being an eternal, loving, giving, relational community. And out of that, God's providential love towards his creation, through its creation and continued sustaining of it. Moving to God's love towards mankind, evidenced by man's creation and Jesus' death and resurrection. And then we have God's special love for believers, adopted into God's family. And then we have the, the commandment to really to, to remain in God's love through ob observation of loving God and one another. You know, there's so much more I could say, but I do want to close, you know, when I was preparing this, again, it's a big subject. Um, you know, if, if, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you've got an opportunity today to actually experience that love firsthand. It might be you've never experienced a tangible experience of God's love, you know, like I mentioned. Or you're going through a tough time and thinking, actually, I could really do with a fresh touch. And the other one that came to me this morning is maybe actually you're fearful. The, the scripture says God's perfect love casts out fear. And there might be someone here, actually, you're battled with fear. Again, rather than go out here, have a coffee, take an opportunity maybe to come and get prayed for and let God touch you. Thanks, Richard. You know, God's love is amazing. And just want to give you an opportunity to respond to, to this loving God and uh, that Richard's unpacked there, or unpacked part of, because you can never unpack all of this this greatness of God and his love. And uh, so let's just stand, shall we? And as we do so, to, to hear what Paul says. And he says, When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's how Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. Caroline, I wonder if we could put up that fourth slide once more. I, do you know, I, I looked at something about that. I love that slide. 
And I, I'm just imagining that, that, you know, they're looking at God. I mean, I don't know what they are looking at, but I'm just imagining that they are looking at God and, and, and just realizing what God's done. And just that sense of thrill and joy and excitement at it. And I want to ask you, is that you this morning? Is that how you feel when you, you think of the Father and you look at him and you think of the day when you first met him and you ran into his arms and, you, and the fact that today he just loves to hold you? <laughs> I mean, I just, there's something about it. I just love it. And I think, yeah, that's great, isn't it? And yesterday I was just watching a, a brief thing on, on television about somebody who'd got a very old violin and it had been left for years. But somebody created that, and could it be restored? And they took it to somebody, and they managed to restore it. And then having restored it, they said, would it make a good sound again? And they had a violinist there, and they began to play on it. And suddenly the tears began to flow in the owner's eyes, from the owner's eyes. And, you know, that's what God does because of his love, as Richard's been sharing. He created you. You are special. More than that, too, he loved you even when you messed up completely. And he is the great restorer of our souls. So let's come and worship together and let's just revel in this love of God as we come to a close. <laughs>